Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Should Ontario stop switching between daylight saving time and standard time? Ontario's fall fiscal update shows the province plans to spend big out of its way of the pandemic. The land border to the U.S. opens Monday and travelers should consider travel insurance. We talk about buying a home versus renting and November is Will's month. So naturally, we'll talk about the importance of having one. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Good morning and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. Pleased to have you wake up with us on another Friday morning. And, uh, well, in a couple of days' time, we're going to go through the uh, biannual ritual of adjusting our clocks. Now, there's an Ontario MPP, and you may have heard this before, but this time he's uh, feeling a little more optimistic, uh, I would think, about the upcoming daylight saving time ending for 2021 being the last time that we go through this clock change. His name is Jeremy Roberts. He's the Conservative MPP for Ottawa West Nepean, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jeremy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm not too bad. So what does your gut tell you in terms of this potentially being the last time change in Ontario? Well, I, you know, I certainly hope it is, uh, Rick. Uh, you know, I... I introduced uh, uh, my private member's bill last year, the Time Amendment Act, to end the biannual time change in Ontario and and move us to permanent daylight savings time. So that would mean a little bit more daylight in the evenings uh, when we all get home from work. And, uh, you know, we passed that into law last year. Uh, It took us 55 days from start to finish to get it done. Uh, But uh, as you may recall, it's, it's conditional on us getting Quebec and New York State to join us as well uh, in making this change. And so I've been hard at work since then, uh, reaching out to uh, some of my counterparts in, in Quebec and New York State to see if we can get them on board. And, and I've, I've heard some positive signs, so I'm, uh, I, I'm feeling optimistic that we can finally, uh, finally end this, uh, this annoying practice. So why is uh, Quebec and New York State integral for this to go through? Well, so, you know, when it comes to New York State, uh, obviously there's a lot of cross-border travel uh, that uh, that happens between Ontario and, and New York State, as well as the fact that we uh, benefit from sharing the same time zone as the markets in New York City. So we don't want to do anything that might disrupt commerce and, and trade. Uh, and when it comes to Quebec, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm an MPP up in the Ottawa region. And a lot of folks don't know this, but half of the federal government is in Ottawa on the Ontario side of the Ottawa River, but the other half is in Gatineau on the Quebec side of the Ottawa River. And so if we went ahead and did this without Quebec, we'd have a couple weird situations like this, where you have half the federal government working on one time and half on the other. Probably uh, probably not the best, uh, best decision. I imagine you'd have some folks uh, showing up at wrong times for meetings uh, all throughout the day. I would imagine if Ontario, Quebec, and New York State all come together to say, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's push ahead. I would think, you know, states like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania might say, hey, we'd like to join the party. Well, I, I would like to think so. And there's there's a lot of states and provinces that are actively looking at this right now. Uh, in fact, Massachusetts, uh, they did a whole study 
on the benefits of permanent daylight savings time. And, and what they found is that permanent daylight savings time could actually be a boost for some of our small businesses because studies show that, uh, you know, if folks get home from work or school and it's still daylight out, they might be more likely to want to go out to a restaurant or a store. So great to have evidence like that uh, coming out of places like Massachusetts that, that bolster uh, this case. Our guest is Conservative MPP from Ottawa West Nepean, Jeremy Roberts. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. There might be some listeners uh, listening to this interview thinking, I don't mind the time change. Yeah, we lose an hour in the spring, but we gain one in the fall. Uh, I'm okay with it. But there are some health implications here as well. And this is one of the major thrusts behind this whole initiative, right? Absolutely. You know, I I started this off because I, I found the time change to be incredibly annoying and uh, always felt a little groggy afterwards. But when I really dug into it, I found out that there's a mountain of academic studies now that show that the time change leads to an increase in heart attacks and strokes, more fatal car crashes, uh, you know, less productivity at work, a whole bunch of of studies that uh, suggest that not only is it annoying, but it's actually dangerous for, uh, for many people's health. The province of Alberta recently held a referendum asking residents if they wanted to ditch uh, the time change. Just a smidge over 50% said uh, thanks, but no thanks. Um, does, does that hold any weight here in Ontario? You know, I, I obviously was was disappointed. Uh, it, it was a very close result. I, I wish Alberta had, had voted in favour. But, you know, when we look at Ontario, there's been a couple of polls done on this. And, uh, and each time it's shown more than 70% of Ontarians in favour of doing away with the time change. And in fact, when we passed this through the legislature in Ontario, it received all party support from uh, from every party uh, here at the legislature. So I think we've got a consensus built here in Ontario. And uh, now we just need to do the same thing with Quebec and New York. When do you hope to hear from those two uh, provinces in, in the state? Well, listen, as as soon as possible. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I've i reached out to uh, both Premier Legault and uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, who's the new governor of New York. We reached out to uh, her predecessor as well uh, back in the day. And while we haven't heard from Governor uh, Hochul on this, uh, uh, Premier Legault has actually indicated in a press conference recently that he's open to the idea. Uh, so we're uh, we're seizing on that, and uh, we're uh, we're writing letters to different officials in Quebec and reaching out and and hoping we can get them on board. Well, we will see. Uh, time will tell. Pardon the pun, but uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, sometime soon. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for the time today. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big day at Queen's Park yesterday. The Ontario government releasing its fall fiscal update. It is a 179-page plan called Build Ontario. And within it, $189 billion in spending on things like health care, infrastructure. There's even a tax credit for staycations. Yeah. Peter bethlen Falvey is the finance minister here in this province. Thanks for joining us this morning. $148 billion, I understand, I understand of this spending is going to go to capital projects over the next decade. Why make that the focal point of this mini-budget? Well, building Ontario uh, is, is critical to our future economic prosperity. And, you know, while we fought hard and all Ontarians are fighting hard through COVID-19 and we're investing unprecedented amounts in our healthcare and, and bi- battling the pandemic, we've got to look down the road a little bit and invest uh, for the future and our future prosperity. So we're laying the foundation uh, and infrastructure is a big part of that. And 
building highways, building roads and bridges, uh, broadband, hospitals, long-term care. These are all long-lived productive assets. And so we, we got to get Ontario moving. We got to get Ontario working and we got to get Ontario, um, uh, health in place so that we can take care of the, the growing population and the aging population and our economic recovery. Housing affordability is a massive issue in Hamilton, across Ontario, really across this country. Why isn't there more of a commitment to that in this mini-budget? Well, actually, you know, we, we are increasing the supply, um, and uh, we've been uh, through our, our uh, new uh, act in terms of the Housing Supply Act. We've created more uh, new houses in, uh, in Ontario, uh, 70,000 in 2021, over 70,000. That's the, the highest number of new Houses in Ontario built since uh, in the last decade. We've had over 10,000 rental units uh, built in 2020. Uh, that's the highest since 1992. So we're we're building more things because at the end of the day, the demand is there, but the supply has to be there, Rick. And and so uh, the numbers in 2021 are even higher than than the record numbers from last year. So supply is really important. Uh, but we also have uh, much that the federal government can do. So. We're very pleased to see the first time a housing minister appointed in cabinet last week. You know, we have a housing minister, Steve Clark, who's done a remarkable job, uh, but he didn't have a counterpart in Ottawa. So now we have a counterpart, and they're committed as well, both for housing affordability and affordable housing. And uh, we've launched, uh, finally, I would say, a housing task force because we're going we're gonna to look into all aspects of how we can, not just in the very near term, deal with housing supply, but we need to have a long-term housing strategy because the... The supply, uh, the demand for housing is going to outstrip supply for the near term. So we need to have a a near term and a long term strategy. So we'll be launching that task force real soon. Peter Bethlen Falvey is our guest. He's the finance minister in Ontario, fresh off his 179 page mini budgets called Build Ontario. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Critics are saying that little attention has been paid to climate change in this fall fiscal update. Where is climate change in this plan? Well, climate change has always been uh, important for conservatives. I was at the celebration of life uh, for Bill Davis yesterday. Uh, the first uh, he pointed the first Ministry of uh, Environment in North America. Uh, you know, we were the first party to to uh, start the green belt with the Oak Ridges Moraine. Uh, of course, uh, Brian Mulroney was there. Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. He's been a champion for the environment. So, and we're continuing that uh, in 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 Ontario under the leadership of Doug Ford. Uh, we're adding to the green belt. We are the biggest issuer of green bonds in the country. We are promoting um, electric vehicle production. You know, we lost a lot of auto manufacturing jobs, um, and uh, we want to get them back. Working with labor leaders, you know, we were standing with Jerry Dias and Smokey Thomas on Tuesday. Uh, we're working with them to get back those those great uh, auto manufacturing jobs for electric vehicle production um, and we have the we have one of the lowest carbon footprints in all of uh, Canada with the 94% of our electricity uh, generated with zero carbon emissions so yes there's more work to do and uh, but we're going to do it together we're not going to relent focusing on on the environment as well as the economy and uh, we can walk and chew at the same time. We have a couple more minutes with Peter Bethlen Falvey, Ontario Finance Minister. There's uh, much mention about highways in this fall fiscal update. The Bradford Bypass, Highway 413, uh, mentioned dozens of times in the plan. Is the goal to build out of the pandemic and do we need more highways? I mean, the 407 is relatively empty for large stretches. Why these two highways? Well, these two highways, which won't be told, uh, are highways that uh, 
are in the areas of greatest population growth. I mean, we have a million people uh, coming to the Greater Golden Horseshoe every five years. That's two million over the next ten years. takes uh, takes a bit of time to build these highways. We have gridlock and congestion today, Rick. Uh, it's costing us eleven billion dollars in lost productivity a year right now. Can you imagine what that's going to be like in a couple of years? The gridlock and the lost productivity. So uh, we're taking cars off the road by not just talking about building subways, but actually building subways. You know, it was talked about for for decades that we'd build subways, but no one did anything. So we're we're building subways in, in Toronto, but we're going to have to build highways outside of Toronto because you can't always take a subway in Hamilton or to take some light rail. We're building that. You can't take a subway in Gallatin or Alton or you know parts of Brampton and uh, and York region. So. You got to build highways. You got to move people to their jobs to be with their families. It's going to save a lot of travel time, which actually takes uh, emissions off. Uh, rather than idling, you're you're moving. And with all those electric vehicles coming on board, I think we've got the type of plan that will get Ontario moving and get Ontario working. And and as you said, uh, build Ontario, which is key to our uh, future economic prosperity. And we have to think about economic recovery. Peter, really, uh, thank you for the time. Uh, we're fresh out of time. Wish I had a little more minutes to talk to you, but uh, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, thanks for the time again, and enjoy your weekend. My pleasure, as always, Rick. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is our plan for jobs, our plan for opportunities, and our opportunity to build Ontario. That is Finance Minister Peter Bethlen Falvey yesterday introducing the fall fiscal update, being referred to as a mini budget. Uh, There are some people who are applauding the government. Yes, great job as always. Others saying kind of missing the mark in some instances. So, well, let's hear from Jay Goldberg, the Interim Ontario Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, who joins us now on a happy Friday morning here on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. Good morning. So, are you applauding or are you giving this the thumbs down? Where do you stand? Uh, Giving it the thumbs down. Unfortunately, the Ford government uh, has really departed from promises they made to voters three years ago. Uh, They promised tax cuts, an income tax cut, a gas tax cut. We didn't see those. Um, You know, the Ford government said they're not raising taxes, but they promised to lower them, and we haven't seen any of that. And then, of course, there's the huge deficits. Uh, we got a deficit of $21.5 billion this year. Uh, we're adding more than a billion dollars a month to the provincial debt. And actually, the deficit for this year is up from $16.4 billion last year to $21.5 this year. Uh, and to have an increased deficit compared to year one of the pandemic when a lot of the economy was shut down, uh, that's just not acceptable. So, Jay, the government and Peter Bethlen Falvey basically making the case that uh, we have to transition from pandemic mode to post-pandemic recovery, not only recovery, but get the economic engine going. And by doing so, they're promising billions of dollars, many of these billions going to infrastructure projects, building um, highways, um, uh, revamping bridges, making them better. Um, is that not a good approach? Well, it's all about priorities. If the government wants to spend more in certain areas, uh, they should offset it with savings elsewhere. We've got a debt of $400 billion uh, in this province, and so if the Ford government wanted to spend more infrastructure, they should have looked for savings. In other areas, we've got corporate welfare we could end. We've got handouts to political parties. Uh, We've got uh, the raises for bureaucrats that we're seeing every year. Uh, 
Uh, and if you look at the economic update, spending has gone up in every sector, whether it's health, education, uh, children's uh, areas, the justice sector, other sectors. So spending is up in every sector. And so if you want to try to um, focus on infrastructure to kickstart the economy, there's a lot of other areas to look for savings to offset that. Jay, how long is it going to take to erase all this red ink and get us back to a balanced budget? Well, the PBO is projecting that Ontario governments won't balance the budget until at least 2095, which, you know, is incredibly scary. Uh, My wife and I welcomed a daughter this year. She would be 49 years old by the time we get there. Uh, And, uh, oh, excuse me, she would not be. That's the federal number. She'd be 74. Uh, And the Ford government didn't present any plan to balance the budget. Uh, they presented numbers that show that the debt's going to grow by $50 billion over the next three years. Um, but there is no plan to balance the budget. They haven't presented anything. Even if it was going to take you know longer to balance the budget, uh, we should have at least seen a clear plan from the government as to how to get there. And we didn't see that at all. Jay, really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for waking up with us on Good Morning Hamilton. Enjoy the rest of your day. You as well. Thanks, Rick. That is Jay Goldberg, Interim Ontario Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, chiming in on the mini-budget that the provincial government unveiled yesterday. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. Don't forget to subscribe to the GMH podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, CuriousCast.ca, many platforms for you to dive into. Don't forget to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Well, we're just days away from fully vaccinated Canadians being allowed to cross the border into the U.S. for non-essential travel. That might include some Christmas shopping, uh, visiting family or friends. There is many things to consider, including insurance. Here to tell us about the ins and outs of what you should be thinking about is Justin Tuin. He's the co-founder of LowestRates.ca, and he joins us now. Good morning, Justin. Morning, Rick. So is it fair to say that travel insurance is more important now than ever before? It really is more important because if something happens to you while you're away, especially something like COVID, the costs that you could be facing without travel insurance could be far higher than you could potentially afford to pay. So what coverage should travelers be considering? There are really three key items to look for when it comes to travel insurance. So the first is emergency medical insurance. What that means is if I get sick or injured when I'm away, what will and what won't be covered? The second is trip cancellation. So if something happens before my trip, will I be able to get all my money back? And then the third is trip interruption insurance. So if something happens while I'm away that makes me need to return to Canada earlier than I anticipated, will I be paid for that change in cost? Those are really the three questions that travelers need to look at carefully. Now, did those three main considerations, do they come on a standard travel insurance policy or those add-ons? They all come typically as standard, but this is really where you need to read the fine print because different insurance companies handle each of these differently. So you may go to one insurance company that will cover all three, 
you go to another that will cover two of the three, and then every company probably has a different maximum amount that they'll cover you for under these different scenarios. So you really do need to ask these important questions. Firstly, do you cover these three items? And secondly, how much am I covered for if these things happen? Those are really important questions before you travel. Justin Tuin is the co-founder of LowestRates.ca. Joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, we're talking about the land border opening on November the 8th, just a a few days away for non-essential, fully vaccinated travelers from Canada into the U.S. Uh, You mentioned those three items in terms of emergency medical insurance, cancellation insurance, interruption insurance. Is there differences as well in those insurance policies from organization to organization, or are those standard? You know, the interruption insurance will be the same no matter where you go. There are differences because every insurance company views risk differently and is willing to take on what they believe is more or less risk based on what they're charging you for travel insurance. Because all insurance is, is the amount of money that they're going to collect from you in premiums versus the amount that they're going to pay out in claims. And so some companies, especially due to COVID, won't cover certain situations because they think no matter how much they can charge, the risk is too much. So you absolutely have to ask those three questions. How much am I getting covered for emergency medical trip cancellation and trip interruption? And am I going to get covered for it in the first place? Because we have spoken to people that haven't asked those questions and have been in a situation where their insurance company says, sorry, we don't cover that, or sorry, we don't cover that to the amount that you need, so you're out of pocket um, some money. What are some of the things that are not covered that uh, you know, a traveler might think is, but, but really isn't? Well, if you are fully vaccinated um, and test positive for COVID on your trip, you, you know, the good news is that the COVID coverage or the insurance coverage will cover the quarantine time. However, if you if you had COVID in the 30 days prior to departure, so, you know, there have been situations where people have had COVID before they've left. Somehow they've been able to leave. And when they're down there, you know, they're not covered um, once they start having the, the effects of COVID. So if, if for whatever reason, somehow um, you have COVID um, prior to traveling, and then you have the effects of it when you've traveled, um, it, they're, they're not going to cover you. But that, that shouldn't happen because everyone needs to be tested. Right. Um, it, it's, it really does come to a case-by-case basis, and you really need to ask your insurance company. Uh, there, there's so many different situations and details, and the devil's always in the details. Uh, we've got to run here, about got about 30 seconds. Are you fielding a lot of calls or getting some online quote requests as, as the border's about to open on Monday? Yeah, we absolutely are. People are excited to travel, but also they want to cover themselves because it's been so long since they've traveled. And, you know, one of the questions they're asking is, have prices gone up for travel insurance? And what's interesting is prices generally have not gone up, which is a really good thing. But what we have noticed is that some of the maximum amounts that the insurance companies are covering for different scenarios has decreased. So that's why we really encourage people to have a detailed conversation with the insurance company that they've chosen prior to getting on the plane. Good tips. Justin, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the 
big issues in this city, in this province, is housing affordability. There are so many people who are trying to get into a home, but they just can't afford it. I mean, the average price of a home in Hamilton is approaching the million-dollar mark. You know, when you consider Hamilton Burlington, what is it, 922? That's $922,000. That is a whole heck of a lot of money. So with house prices skyrocketing, there's a new survey that looks at whether Canadians are renting happily ever after or are they looking to purchase a home as soon as possible. Get into the markets. Megan Ross is a consultant with Abacus Data and has conducted this research and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on today. Let's cut to the chase here. Are Canadians renting happily ever after or are they wanting to get into a home ASAP? Well, you know, the last couple of years, as you mentioned, have been tough for purchasing a home. And the same is true for renting. You know, we've heard far more about soaring, you know, housing prices in the news than similar challenges that renters are going through. You know, basically, uh, you know, what we learned is that renters have been hit with higher rental prices and limited supply in desirable areas. And these circumstances have led some to stay in unfavorable living situations and some to move out of areas that they've enjoyed living in to find cheaper rent. So, so, so some def- uh, uh, no, you can continue. Go ahead. So basically, in the current state, the rental market is pretty bleak, but there is still hope for the transition from renting to owning. You know, many renters are still interested in owning a home someday and would be open to government support to help make it happen. So what is uh, compounding the issue in the housing market, which is really, at the end of the day, a lack of supply? That is also a big stressor when it comes to uh, not only where and how many rental units are available, but the prices of those units as well. Absolutely. So what we found is that three in four renters feel that renting has become less affordable in the area that they live in. And this is especially true for those living, uh, living in the Toronto and GTA area. And on top of this, six in 10 renters feel that there aren't enough rentals in the area that they do want to live in. Our guest is Megan Ross, a consultant with Abacus Data. We're looking at uh, the rental market in the GTHA, and it is uh, really tough times if you're looking for a unit or if you're in a unit, you're seeing your rental rates going uh, higher uh, each and every year. Uh, Try to get into the housing market is very difficult because house prices are really skyrocketing. We've heard stories about Uh, People co-owning a house, whether it's two people or maybe even two families that pool their resources together to purchase and live in a home, which is really not for everyone. Um, Is there any data behind that or any data in terms of how tough it is to move from, uh, you know, the rental scenario to the home buying scenario? Uh, Nothing that we specifically tested, but we did find that um, as a result of current prices and availability, um, uh, so, oh, here we are. Sorry, uh, three in four renters actually uh, who live with a roommate say that they do so because they can't afford to live on their own. And about half of renters still living with family members say the same thing. So you know, people are living in unfavorable circumstances and they feel like they're stuck. One of the uh, one of the figures or stats that really I find interesting is that only, and I say only, only 45% of renters, according to the data from Abacus Data, 45% of renters want to own a home someday, which seems kind of low. 
it does seem kind of low. And, you know, we were curious, you know, if, uh, you know, the Florida billing availability of rent, you know, would impact renters' interest or desire to purchase a home. So we looked at the chunk of renters who want to own a home someday, and they're feeling the pressure. They're nervous. We found that three and four who really want to own a home someday are concerned if they do continue to stay in the rental market for much longer, that housing prices will continue to rise and owning a home will become even more out of reach. Yeah, absolutely. The longer anyone waits, uh, whether they're renting or even living at home, the price of homes have, uh, as as we've seen with uh, you know month to month statistics in Hamilton and across the country, really they're going uh, up. They're they're not going down. Uh, of those forty five percent of renters who really want to own a home someday, forty nine percent are women, forty percent are men, which is an interesting uh, dynamic as well. Uh, you mentioned government supports as well, and are renters looking to the governments to say, "Hey, h- help us out here." Yeah, so we we tested a statement asking renters about support for an initiative that was on the Liberal platform in the federal election, uh, a rent-to-own program. And what we found is that two in three renters would be taking advantage of a program of this kind. And among those who really want to own a home someday, it, it skyrockets. It's about 20 points higher. Wow, that is scary. Megan, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us here. Thanks for having me on. That is Megan Ross, consultant with Abacus Data, telling us about uh, the rental market in Hamilton. And yeah, it is. It's pricey. There's not a lot of supply there. We've heard the stories. We've had them in our newscasts about rent evictions, landlords, boating tenants out of their places, renovating that place, charging a much higher rate once those renters come back into the building, if they do come back. Uh, it is, uh, it's a pretty vicious circle, but the supply, really, we talk about supply chain issues, the supply of homes and rental units in this city and in many cities across this country and in this province for sure, are that's uh, a hot topic. And um, it, it, it is rather interesting that not much was mentioned in uh, yesterday's mini-budget from Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey. We will ask why when uh, Mr. Bethlen-Falvey joins us at 749 this morning. Don't forget to vote in our Twitter poll question today. At AM900CHML is the Twitter address to hop on. Today's question, should Ontario stop switching between daylight saving time and standard time? Yes or no? You can vote now. Yesterday we asked, will you get a COVID-19 booster shot? And 75% of you said Yes. Coming up in the news at 7, we get a preview from Paul Tipple. Um, Rick saying they're much more powerful and potentially more dangerous than they used to be. Hamilton could be reviewing its fireworks bylaw. Tell you why Hillfield Strathallen was put into lockdown just as the kids were getting out of the buses to end their school day yesterday. And believe it or not, all kinds of water leaks before it gets into your tap. Hamilton officials now confident that a leak detection program will reduce the amount of drinking water that never makes it into your home. Tell you all about that program on the news at 7. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I'm your host, Rick Samprin. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can look on CuriousCast.ca, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, and a whole lot more. A lot of platforms for you to dive in into the podcast world. Uh, have you set up your will? Is this something you've been considering, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic? 
Well, uh, I did not know this, but November is apparently National Wills Month here in Ontario. And here to share some details about uh, compiling a will and how it works is Daniel Goldgut. He's the co-founder of Toronto-based electronic will provider Epilogue. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Is the wills business really busy now? It it certainly is. Uh, I think with the pandemic, it has uh, let people realize that you need to uh, expect the unexpected. And so making a will is a prudent thing to do. And a lot of people are, are, are now starting to turn to it. And so many people up to this point hadn't done it. So there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people still in this country that need wills. Who are the people that need wills especially? Is it those young families, older adults, people in university? Uh, who, who do you see the most? Who do you want to see the most? So, I mean, what we tell people is really everyone needs a will. Every adult needs a will. Um, the outcomes for not having a will, uh, people don't seem to sort of appreciate some of those consequences. And so everyone thinks, you know what, maybe I'm too young, or I don't have enough assets, and it's not a big deal. Uh, the reality is things are better for family and friends if you have one. Uh, in terms of who we see coming through our platform, certainly young families, um, getting married, having children, those are, are milestones that um, people look at and say, you know, what, maybe now it's time to make a will, um, getting a pet as well. We see that a lot of pet owners and then people that are um, getting older, you know, into retirement or, or, or maybe who are becoming grandparents. It's sort of that reminder, you know, this is time to, to get my stuff in order. You mentioned pet owners. I want to get to that in a couple of minutes, but I want to talk about the, the cost of not having a will. How much does it cost individuals or families if uh, someone doesn't have one? So I think, you know, you can look at costs in a couple of different ways. You know, there's certainly the financial costs. And so not having a will means that, you know, someone in your life is going to need to begin a court process to figure out who's going to step in, who's going to become responsible for making sure that all of your uh, assets are, are distributed. So there's certainly a financial cost that comes with not having a will. And then the emotional cost. So the, the stress um, that you are leaving behind to family members because they don't know what you would have wanted. So they are left sort of, you know, grasping and trying to make decisions at a time that is already really difficult. And so you, you are leaving people in a, you know, difficult situation um, a lot of people think that making a will is this really, really difficult thing to do. Um, and I think once they start to realize that it might not be, all of a sudden that, you know, that cost benefit starts to just you know, really make a lot more sense to go ahead and get that planning in place. November is National Wills Month in Ontario, and we are chatting with Daniel Goldgut, co-founder of Toronto-based electronic will provider Epilogue. Um, what about the cost of a will? Has that gone up or down during the pandemic or the last 10, 20 years? So during the during the pandemic, I mean, the costs haven't changed much. But over the last 10, 20 years, I think the uh, you know the biggest factor there in terms of uh, bringing the cost down is the emergence of certain uh, online will providers like Epilogue. And so now, you know, if you come to Epilogue, if, you know, for an individual who's looking to just do a will, it's as low as one hundred and thirty nine dollars. You're looking to get a will and your powers of attorney. It's one hundred and seventy nine dollars total. So that is you know quite a bit less than sort of what exists out there. If you were going to see a lawyer to get your will, I mean, one thing that we tell people all the time is, you know, our solution is not right for everybody. Online wills are not right for everybody. If they are right for you, it can be a great fit because it's, you know, it's simple, it's cost effective. And in our platform, we ask a few questions to find out, you know, is someone right 
for us to come and do it you know, through an online world provider, or should that person go speak to a lawyer because there's some complexities that need to be addressed. You mentioned pets. Uh, pet owners should get a will? Yes, absolutely. So pet guardianship is something that people you know, don't think about too often. You know, People think about naming a guardian for your minor children. That one seems obvious. Um, but naming a guardian for your pet is really important too. Uh, people look at their pets like they look at children. And so it's important to make sure that your pet ends up in a loving environment and that the person that uh, they are going to go to is, is prepared and aware uh, and willing to take on that responsibility. And so it's, uh, you know, for some people, it's a, it's a huge motivator to come and make a will. There's also a social media will. We've had even my, in my family, you know, a death in the family, their social media presence still lives on. Uh, can people formulate a social media will? Yes, absolutely. So that's something that we launched uh, not too long ago, uh, you know, we live so much of our lives online now and with social media accounts and, and, and our digital identities living uh, long, uh, you know, longer than we will. Uh, it's important to make a plan for that. So if you go to Epilogue, we offer this social media will. Really what it's intended to do is let people know that, you know, some of these platforms, you can actually go right now today, for example, to Facebook and decide what you want to happen when you pass away. You can make those decisions today. So we help point people in those directions to say, make some of those decisions today. Let your friends and family members know what those decisions are so that there's no ambiguity and they know exactly, you know what, he wanted this account deleted and he wanted this account memorialized and he wanted this, you know, you know particular things done with each of those accounts. Daniel Golgut, co-founder of Toronto-based electronic will provider Epilogue. Thanks uh, for the time today. Great uh, advice and insight. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.